The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Coming up on the next broadcast, even more, even more reasons to be frustrated by the Pope. Ugh. Even more reasons to love Colonel Allen West. I love that man. Even more reasons to hate New York. I hate New York. And we'll discuss even more foods that you can blast into space and then eat and enjoy. You didn't the... let it go. I did not let it go. I hate you. What about like cheesecake? You did not let it go. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Week to week, I hope if you've listened before, you find the voice of reason, a voice on the front lines of reform, modernization, counter-Islamism, Americanism, if you will, that belief that the only way to defeat terrorism and protect American security is for Muslims to lead the battle for reform within the House of Islam. And here on Reform This every week, you and I together breach that divide, try to breach the divide between theocrats and the land in the West of secular liberal democracy. And I think that's really what this is about. Terrorism is simply a -a whack-a-mole program. The reality is that we need to come together People of all faith, people of no faith, people who believe in the U.S. Constitution and similar democracies need to come together to advance the ideas of liberty into the consciousness of Muslim-majority countries and the American Muslim and global Muslim population because that is the only way not only to inoculate them against radicalization but to defeat the spread of jihad. And every week I bring you clinics I bring you a teaching moment, if you will, of what we're up against in the Muslim community and the reformers in the Muslim community, and also what we can do, what you can do to solve the problem. And our teaching moment this week is brought to you courtesy of Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, Democrat from Connecticut, who has made himself out on the floor of the Senate this week on the 25th of April 2018, made it clear to everyone that the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, has its senator in its back pocket. Why is that? Well, he went to the floor of the Senate to say, listen, and this is in reference to his protestation of Mike Pompeo, former congressman, former CIA director, current CIA director who is now the Secretary of State designee, as he went to the floor of the Senate to protest his nomination trying to say he's not fit, but actually, who was the collateral damage to his comments? Yours truly. Listen, he said, Mike Pompeo was deeply intertwined with the network of anti-Muslim organizations. There was a really interesting study that I hope some of you will take a look at, the details of this network of organizations. They have fairly innocuous-sounding names, like the American Islamic Forum for Democracy the Middle East Forum, the Investigative Project on Terrorism, and he goes on to list other anti-jihadist organizations. Those sound like things that I might be for, but if you really take a look at what they do, they preach intolerance. So here you have a sitting U.S. senator on the floor of what would be equivalent of the Knesset, the Parliament, 
the leading central leadership of our government, you look at the floor of what if similar things had been said about the American Islamic Forum for Democracy on the floor of the Saudi government or the Islamic Republic of Pakistan or Iran? Do we need to educate? Do I need to remind Senator Murphy that to say that the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, an organization that I helped found and other Muslims are a part of, including our community outreach director, Courtney Lonergan, who is a, a activist, a grassroots uh, organizer, a community organizer, uh, and a, uh, a women's rights leader in her own right, uh, Arif Humayun, one of our senior fellows, uh, who has also been instrumental in a lot of our work. And also we have helped co-found the Muslim Reform Movement, which includes many other Muslim leaders in the U.S., Canada, and Europe. But he said our American Islamic Forum for Democracy, according to Senator Chris Murphy, is anti-Muslim and intolerant. So need we need we remind the good senator that that would be basically a declaration of apostasy, a declaration of tekfir, which is when radicals from Al-Qaeda and others say that this Muslim is not a Muslim because he's too moderate, too modern, and is not an Islamist, so thus he's not a Muslim. That's how they deal with debate and criticism. So Senator Murphy basically read from the talking points of probably CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, the Islamic Society of North America, and basically was handed a script in which I'm giving him a pass by saying that. Now, that, that's the mildest explanation. The most significant explanation would be the good Senator actually more here as devout Orthodox or liberal Muslims in America than we could in any so-called Muslim country, which is the theocracy in which the government rams their form of Islam down our throat. But no, in the name of radical partisanship, which is what Senator Murphy was really demonstrating, his radical partisanship, he threw us under the bus, as he did other anti-jihadist organizations with which we've worked, including the Middle East Forum, the investigative project on terrorism, and he doesn't care about actually the ideas that we present, but basically read it as a list of somehow in a practice of partisan hackery, he then says that we are anti-Muslim and intolerant. We'd be happy to meet, I'd be happy to meet with the senator anytime. I've never met him. I've testified to his senate a few times, uh, and he, he wasn't on the committee to which I testified, but clearly his staff did no homework, or if they did homework, intentionally smeared us, libeled us, and slandered us on the floor of the senate. So, We'll say where are the moderate voices of Islam when our detractors are handing pieces of talking points fit for the theocrats of the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia, fit for the Khomeinist radicals of Iran who would love to call us as intolerant and anti-Muslim on their propaganda machines like Press TV and elsewhere, and a senator from Connecticut decides to call us anti-Muslim, it's a real sad day in American discourse that his partisan extremism allows him to slander an American Islamic organization. Obviously, he knows nothing about the dynamics of the American Muslim community. He probably doesn't even know how to spell Islamism, let alone understand the difference between being Muslim and being an Islamist. Understand the difference between being a member of the Muslim Brotherhood or being a member of a local mosque. 
a place of worship. And yet, the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups that seem to hand him his talking points that dominate the Islamic establishment in America, he thinks is Islam. And he'll regurgitate any of the theocratic laundering of information that he's given in order to malign us from the floor of the Senate. And I think it's a clinic. This should educate every American that, number one, how clueless your elected officials are to the real allies that you have versus the enemies of American freedom. Refuse to militant Islamism. But that's a whole debate within the Muslim community. But to, to say that we are anti-Muslim basically should teach you that why should care come across as radical and do the work themselves when they can end up getting a senator to do it for them. We look, for example, at the Iran deal, which you and I are going to talk about in a few segments here, but why do you think France doesn't want to back out of the Iran deal? Oh, they already have jetliner projects with billions of dollars of economic uh, cooperation. They have a number of economic incentives in which they are already way deep in investment in the theocratic state and don't want to back out. So Macron wants to somehow massage the Iran deal so that economic sanctions would never kick in. At the end of the day, these governments, as much as we are democracies, end up being driven by kleptocrats in our governments that don't care really about the ideology, but Muslims simply become a tool for their own partisan hackery and for their kleptocratic interests of their large multi-billion dollar global transnational companies. So look at the video clip. We posted it at AIFdemocracy.org, and it'll expose. You'll see a senator call us out as being anti-Muslim. And I hope you call the senator's office. I hope you demand that he engage our organization and learn about the battle for the soul of Islam. That is the name of my book about my struggle, about our struggle as American Muslims, about how he maligned an entire movement and that many of us that founded the Muslim reform movement believe in, in, in a passion for our faith and for our country that drives us to want to expose the Islamists and what they are. And that exposure of Islamists no different Senator Murphy from our founding fathers who exposed the the evil and the duplicity of theocracy and created the greatest democracy on this in this planet the United States of America and through that democracy that was created at the at the move of a revolution necessary to defeat theocracy in in Europe and which tried to entrench itself here in the United States, that ultimately was our Constitution ratified in 1789 that, that solidified into, into place in history the Establishment Clause, the First Amendment, the inalienable right to free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, and the first liberty, which is freedom of religion. So it's a teaching moment. When we come back, I'm going to tell you a little bit about now. His entire speech was basically about trying to malign Secretary of State-designee Pompeo. I had joined Congressman Pompeo in, in exposing the radical imam in his backyard, which he was courageous enough to call out. And we'll talk about that when we come back in a second on 
Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. The Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Democratic leaders' liberal decisions have earned Baltimore the title of being a, quote, democratic hellhole, unquote, (laughs) a term coined by the Blaze's Pat Gray. (laughs) That is awesome. That That, is awesome. That is so cool to be quoted by a a national publication and then to use that quote. (laughs) Awesome. You should be very proud of that, Pat. (laughs) I am proud of that. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern, only on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, who would have thought that in the confirmation discussion about Secretary of State designee Mike Pompeo that Muslim reformers, that the American Islamic Forum for Democracy would become collateral damage on the floor of the Senate, invoked by a senator I've never heard of, I've never met, who invoked the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and a list of anti-jihadist organizations that many of whom are dedicated to protecting this country, to fighting against jihad. And he called us out as the first organization he listed, as he said, is he actually claimed that we falsely name ourselves, that these are benign naming organizations. Senator Chris Murphy then said, they sound wonderful. I could even support them, he said. But they're intolerant, they're anti-Muslim organizations. So you could dismiss this as simply, ah, the blatherings of a politician, it doesn't matter. Well, first of all, he said it when he's trying to attack former Congressman Mike Pompeo, now director of the CIA and hopefully soon Secretary of State designee. I'll remind you, I wrote in National Review in April 6, 2016, that to protest A pro-Hamas speaker is not Islamophobic. And sure enough, Congressman Pompeo used the presence and the leadership that he has in his district to expose that the Islamic Society of Wichita, by inviting a self-declared Hamas supporter, Sheikh Munzar Talib, as a special guest for his fundraising event in April 2016, had basically not only been bringing controversy, but bringing hate into his district, And I lauded Congressman Mike Pompeo for exposing that. And we have been calling for members of Congress and the Senate all over, members of the House and the Senate all over the country to use these moments like that to teach their constituents that it is actually pro-Muslim to demand that open speeches given by folks endorsed and sponsored by local Islamic organizations adhere to a modicum of, of, of modernity, liberalism, and condemn the ideas of terror groups like Hamas. But unfortunately, when he did this, he was roundly criticized by most of the so-called mainstream media as being Islamophobic and basically a bigot. And I wrote a piece calling out the fact that to me and many of our families in the United States that are proud to be American Muslims, there is nothing more pro-Muslim than exposing the fact that the clerics that are theocrats, that are supremacists, that are misogynistic like Sheikh Munzer Talib, that are anti-Semitic Hamas supporters, terror supporters like Sheikh Talib, 
There is nothing more pro-American, pro-Muslim than countering Islamism. I said at the time, it seems obvious that Sheikh Talib's Hamas sympathies and connections would make any American Muslim organization hesitant to have anything to do with him, much less invite him as a special guest. Marginalizing and exposing the ideas of Talib and others like him is crucial if we are effectively to counter Islamist ideology and, rec and radicalization. Instead, the Islamic side of Wichita canceling the event only when Congressman Pompeo expressed serious concern and community pressure mounted. Now, rather than admitting their mistake, the Islamic Society of Wichita has, tem has the temerity to play the victim, blaming Kansans for their Islamophobia. And it goes on to talk about the links to CARE and others of the Islamist network. So, Senator Murphy, if you're going to talk about networks and basically invoke conspiracy theories and other nonsense from the pulpit that you have on the floor of the U.S. Senate... How about you look at the network of Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups begun by the Muslim Student Association and spreading into other Islamist groups around the country since their formation in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that were originally Saudi-funded and foreign-funded? Why don't you look at how your words that demean our Muslim organization would be used by governments and had been used by radicals? And the other thing I wanted to bring to your attention is just last week, if you follow me on Twitter, there is a Twitter feed that has followers of a Salafi jihadi television arm, media arm, based in Saudi Arabia, our so-called allies, that has publicized, pushed forth a, a link to an interview from a Sharia expert, a Western Sharia expert that talks about Andy McCarthy and others in the anti-jihad movement, that in that two-minute clip, all he was really talking about was the premise of my argument at the American Islamic Forum, which is that we believe that the establishment of Islam is the Islamist establishment is the problem. And he then argues that I'm basically calling for a major revolution in legal thought in Islam. Well, Nazak TV, N A I Z A K dot TV, 2.5 million followers, has posted and reposted that link many times. And it opens in Arabic with an opening that says the use of an American Syrian doctor quote, who is an enemy of Islam demonstrates how the West is trying to destroy our faith but that will never happen and we will win. Look at my Twitter feed. Look at the highlight. I then called them out and said the Salafi Jihadi channel propaganda arm for Saudi Wahhabism again distributes this old clip that opens with a clip identifying me as an enemy of Islam. And it does so repeatedly. Now they reported that I was whining and that's why I did that. I was afraid of them, etc. But basically, <laughs> what we're trying to do is show the West as a teaching moment that you know you're effective when the, one of the primary social media arms of Salafi jihadism out of Saudi Arabia, our so-called allies, are propagating the information that I'm an apostate, that I'm somehow an enemy of Islam. This is the language that is used to demonize reformers in theocratic kingdoms and theocratic nations. So please, please America and the rest of you in the West, 
If you believe the Saudis are our allies, look at what they're peddling and their people are peddling. If you believe that the Qataris are our allies, look at the information they're peddling with the Muslim Brotherhood. The Saudis may tell you now that they're anti-Muslim Brotherhood, but they're still deeply ideologically anti-Western and no showing of the Black Panther, no wrestling federation matches in Riyadh, no driving only of women. These things might be baby, baby steps. But for every baby step forward, they take 20 steps backwards in their anti-Semitism and their radical jihad. Radical hacks like Senator Murphy to Twitter feeds of television propaganda arms of Salafi jihadi channels. You need to only see whose ire we are raising to understand why reformers need protection. We need platforms. We need respect and equality. Nobody's telling you to hand us the victory over the Islamists. No, just get us a, a seat at the table. Don't take away our Muslim identity. Don't invalidate our theology. Let us debate toe-to-toe -to -toe like I've done against the Muslim Public Affairs Council in the debate I had in L.A. last January 2017 against Salam Mariotti, like the debates I've had against various imams around the country. Let us have an equal seat at the table and not don't tell us that we're anti-Muslim. Don't uh, uh, ignore us when we try to say that, you know what, why don't you Facebook instead of blocking the so-called Islamophobic web pages, which is what you seem to be focused on when you're testifying to Congress. Mr. Zuckerberg, you seem to talk about the protection of Muslim minorities, but you never talk about the protection of anti-jihadists. When we come back next segment, I want to talk about Facebook's new 27 pages of transparent rules. Might be good, might have a lot of good ideas in it, but what is that going to do to the anti-jihadists and the reformers like myself? Will it help us? Will it hurt us? Can algorithms work in an ideological battle for freedom against theocracy? It might help against violence and beheadings. I think that might work, but not against ideology. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It is an honor to be back with you this week. And we were talking about Senate smears, uh, the halls of Congress becoming the halls of the OIC, Organization of Islamic Cooperation, where all of a sudden our senators are preaching blasphemy laws and trying to shut down American Muslim free speech, reformers calling us anti-Muslim. And I think it's always important to talk about the platforms of social media and what that brings to this conversation. I was telling you this week, Facebook came out with 27 pages of new guidelines. I'm sure this is on the heels of Zuckerberg's testimony and that they are going to take by the bull by the horns and begin to screen for content on the web that is offensive, for content that radicalizes. And sure enough, a flurry of stories this week out of Bloomberg, out of Reuters, on and on said, Facebook says it's time to remove more ISIS contact by actively 
looking for it. And it said it was able to remove a large amount of content by the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda in the first quarter of 2018 by simply looking for it. It trained its review systems, both humans and computer algorithms, to seek out posts from terrorist groups. And the network took action on 1.9 million pieces of content from those groups in the first three months of the year, about twice as many as the previous quarter. 99% of that content wasn't reported first by users, but was flagged by the company's internal systems. And then it goes on about Twitter, Google putting the onus on its users, and Facebook Zuckerberg is taking the lead. Now, here's my fear. We need, and I would ask every one of you listening to this podcast, we need an engagement of what we're going to do about this because the social media platforms are the highway. The highways can kill people. But if you're going to fight drunk driving, if you're going to fight the use of the roads for road rage, it's not always the highway's fault. It's not the tool's fault. It's the driver. How do you prevent that? Yes, you need rules. Yes, you need certain, uh, you know, street signs, et cetera, road signs on which directions to go, what not to go. So I think making it a more robust platform and not simply the wild, wild west is important. But having said that, you cannot deny that Facebook unilaterally or whatever algorithms it use is not going to be using the lens of modernity, of reformers, of anti-theocrats. It's simply going to be using... I think at best, I'm going to make an argument that it should be using a lens about simply pure and simple violence or calling for acts of violence, the same lens that we use to monitor free speech in America. So that same lens of free speech is the Brandenburg versus Ohio case and the uh, uh, early history in America basically said that the KKK was allowed to preach its hate as long as it did not imminently incite violence upon another human being. And I think ultimately, this scenario has proven to work better for America than any other democracy. Because it allows us to shed the light of day upon hate groups, to expose its speech, and marginalize them upon society. And as long as they're not preaching violence, their hate preaching should be ridiculed, mocked, marginalized, and condemned but not shut down. Because once we get into the business of shutting it down, A, it moves underground and still flourishes, if anything more, as Egypt, Saudi Arabia, fascist countries in the first early 20th century, such as Germany, Czechoslovakia, and others demonstrated. But at the end of the day, the best way to defeat bad speech is through good speech. And on Facebook, the highways of information Yes, it's even much more accentuated because you end up having all of these bizarre ideas. As we talked last time, the ideas, the conspiracy theories, the fake information spreading like wildfire where governments weaponize information because they get their SS troops onto the keyboards to to push forth false information. So what do you do about that? There has to be a way to begin to standardize information, news capacity based on sources that we trust, and begin to rank them to rank them based on filtering what we want, but not removing them. So when social media talks about getting into the business of removing posts from Al-Qaeda, ISIS, I worry that 
they're also going to start removing posts from those of us who were anti-jihad, anti-Al-Qaeda, anti-Hamas, because A, many of their experts are actually Islamists who want to, yes, marginalize and defeat the militants that give them a bad name, but the non-militants, they will allow to flourish, and the rest of us they'll call Islamophobes and hurt our ability to publish information. And thus you see on Facebook, if you look at the proportion of anti-Israel posts versus anti-Islam posts, I think you'll find a lot more virulent anti-Semitism sort of intertwined with anti-Israel narratives that are in, in the far greater volume than you see the anti-Islam, anti-Muslim bigotry, if you wish, that exists. Why? Because the latter gets put out, and a lot of what gets put out is actually not bigotry, but along with it is collateral damage of reformist speech, anti-Islamist, anti-theocratic preacher speech that I think we're trying to, to push forth, but gets labeled in the vigilantes of Facebook that to the thousands end up marking posts as being irrelevant, being hateful, etc., when in fact it's simply anti-Islamist, anti-regime, etc. And then you start throwing in the regime operatives that are working with the Saudis, as I told you about uh, Zainak TV and uh, others that have millions of followers that become weaponized as hate mongers that aren't saying anything specifically violent to me, but yet are clearly hate-filled and will do anything to shut us down. So Facebook then talked about revealing its censorship guidelines. It posted 27 pages. And now the network is talking about being transparent, showing its 27 pages of guidelines it calls the community standards, which give its workforce of thousands of human censors to use as its standards. And it includes topics that include hate speech, violent imagery, misrepresentation. What is that? Terrorist propaganda and disinformation. Facebook said it would offer users the opportunity to appeal Facebook's decision. And then it goes on to talk about the move, adding a new degree of transparency to a process that public users advocate having criticized as arbitrary and opaque. So yes, I am concerned. This process, Facebook now has not only vehicles, but owns the highways. And we're not just talking about the internet highways, but the platform that we use. I think we need more than simply the theater of the robotic Mark Zuckerberg testifying. But we need heavy, heavy discussion of what an open society really is. How do we begin to create mechanisms of understanding the quality of what we're looking at without suppressing necessary speech on the fringes? Would the Charlie Hebdo's of the world that print in print not allowed to be printed on Facebook because they offended Muslims and then they get attacked and slaughtered by radical ISIS elements. I don't know. And if Facebook wants to please the Saudi government, the Malaysian government, the Islamists of Turkey, where more journalists have been tortured than any regime in modern history that we can remember in the Middle East, or at least in Turkey at least, the AKP Islamists are beginning to create a blasphemy law that's unprecedented because that's how they survive is by suppressing free speech. So 
I think the front lines of this battle of reformation is on Facebook. And I would tell you that this, the, the owners of the highway, it's not only Google and YouTube and Twitter and t Instagram and WhatsApp and Telegram, but these are major, major capitalized Forbes 50 corporations. What are they doing to invest in pro-liberal democracy to fund the revolution, to fund the reformation? What are they doing? Or are they helping the petro-Islamists fund their spread of theocracy, their evangelical spread of Islamist movements? That's the real question. I, you know, listen, my friends, I, I don't have an answer to right now. But if anyone who thinks that Zuckerberg has the answer to his own highway, if anyone thinks uh, the, this guy who I talked to you about a couple episodes ago couldn't even answer a question about why his company, why his own trajectory is uniquely blessed in the United States compared to China. And he simply felt it was equal and said there's some good Chinese internet companies. This is not the guy who's going to preserve freedom. It might be the guy that was blessed enough to come up with a technology that became one of the major platforms on the planet with a billion users plus out of the 7 billion on the planet. But intellectuals, free thinkers, prisoners of conscience need to speak up and start to talk about what we outlaw and what we don't, what we marginalize and what we don't. I had the same debate about whether we should remove all of Imam Awlaki's videos. Who's Imam Awlaki? Remember, he was the guy we targeted in Yemen who had declared war in the United States, was an American-born imam, radicalized a number of individuals that ended up committing acts of terror against our country, including the most notable Nidal Hassan, and a number of others. So should all of his videos be removed or just the ones that call for acts of violence? My argument is that many of the things he says have been said by other Islamists. He has spiritual poetry that he's put out and other things. So does he physically become persona non grata? Or just the videos where he calls for the killing and death of Americans and soldiers and war? I would tell you that we can't study him. My foundation, our organization, our kids, our kids' kids can't study what created this militant unless we know which ideas he put together into his texts. Do we burn Mein Kampf or do we leave it to read and understand what created the satanic individual that decided to kill six million Jews and more? We have to understand these individuals, not their call for the violence, but we have to understand them. This is Zudi Jasser and Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. And the mere fact that the UK has gone from banning guns to kitchen cutlery is actually enough for us to laugh. But the crackdown on inanimate objects didn't stop there. They're also confiscating, and this is not a joke, scissors, pliers, screwdrivers, and hammers. Pretty much anything that could be used as a weapon. What's next? You know what? They strangled that person to death. I want to ban hands. Congratulations, UK. The Glenn Beck Program.
the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for sticking around. This is our last segment. I wanted to end this week talking about Iran. Congratulations to Secretary of State Pompeo on being confirmed as Secretary of State. And he wasted no time in getting on a jet and going to Israel, Saudi Arabia, and into the Middle East to begin to make the rounds, including Jordan and others, as he preps for what's going to be a whirlwind as Secretary of State, but in the next few months will include dealing with the Iran deal dynamics, dealing with the dynamics in North Korea, and I think it's been no more crucial time in American history since Vietnam, if not since World War II. And I have to tell you that at the center, at the epicenter of of sort of the direction towards strength, towards peace through strength, or towards collapse, towards chaos, will be the way we approach Iran. There's some little stories that came out of Iran this week. I think one is the broiling, the, 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 the slow boil of a revolution that's happening there. Remember, we've talked about the fact that that revolution has been targeted towards the theocrats. And what's fascinating is that they went chanting this week, chanting in the mosques, videotaped and sent online. I tweeted out a couple of them. Our enemy is right here. They're lying when they tell you it's America. They're lying when they tell you death to America. Our enemy is here in our mosques. That's what they're chanting in Farsi. So what does the government do this week? Puts out its own little app, Sorush, and has emojis of death to America in those emojis. So what are they trying to do? Are they trying to garner more support? No, they're not going to get the revolutionaries, those who hate the government, to use that app. As I quoted, they're not going to use it. But what that does tell them, what that does tell you, I'm sorry, is that they're trying to tell their population to radicalize, to demonize the other. In a Machiavellian sense, this is why radical Islam will never go away without the defeat of the regimes. These regimes, even when they're secular monarchs or military dictators, still use radical ideology to fuel we talk about foreign infiltration into our media with Russian bots, etc. What about if your own government in Iran has SS-type intelligence operatives pushing millions of folks into apps with information being soaked into the public space of death to America and other radical ideas? So it radicalizes their population and it distracts them into an internal conflict and polarization that quells real dissent. So as they shut down Telegram, which is what they did again this past week, as they shut down access to platforms for communication, theocratic regimes, military regimes, continue to hold the chokehold over their people. And I think now we've seen, with as I've read to you letters that President Trump sent the people of Iran, we've seen some of the policy positions, it appears that this administration at least begins to understand the difference that the best anti-nuclear policy against Iran would be regime change. Not that we're going to change it, but at least when there are people rising 
in the mosques and in the streets. We provide them the avenues, the, the intel to bypass the firewalls, to maintain communication. As the Wall Street Journal reported that some of the, the holes in the network that were used by Telegram users to the millions was provided through tech companies in Los Angeles, San Francisco, even though Telegram is a company started by a Russian who right now is in self-exile, a billionaire, um, and uh, I think his name is Duvrov. I might be wrong on that, but bottom line is is that the app, again, through technologies, can bypass governmental blockages, but not easily. Now, should we scrap the Iran deal? How do we move forward from the Real Politique that is going to be addressed in the next few weeks? I think you can do both. I think you can rebrand it, scrap it basically, but we need to address all of the weakest elements of our security apparatus. So it is not just the long-range missiles, and it's not just their nuclear capability, but it is an entire picture of what Iran is doing to radicalize not only its own population, but what it does with money it receives. I wouldn't listen to the French. The French are have become kleptocratic by wanting to simply have airplane deals with with their their uh, European sales of billions of dollars of investment into Tehran, etc. And those types of the, the, the sentiment that somehow increasing economic interaction with Western companies into a theocratic dictatorship is going to change Iran is just nonsense. The Obama administration handed them $150 billion in which they used it to funnel money to continue the genocide in Syria, to fund Hezbollah to the tune of 30,000, 40,000 troops in Syria, and the buildup of arms near the border of Israel. That's the reality of what helping the economy, quote-unquote, in Iran does. It doesn't help the economy. It helps the people who control the economy, which is the government. And the only way you're going to help the people is through defeat of the socialist control of their system through revolution. So, at the end of the day, you have to look not only at long-range missiles, but short-range that threaten Saudi Arabia, that threaten Syria, that threaten Israel. The colonization of Syria by Iran needs to be ratcheted back, and, and at best. I pray, end completely, where the cost to them becomes too high. That needs to be part of the Iran deal. And they need to understand that we not only say what we mean, but we mean what we say. And that inspections need to be done not one week in advance, but where we want them, when we want them. And that's why we should decertify. And I think with Ambassador Bolton now, head of the NSA, National Security Advisor, and now with Secretary Pompeo, I think you're going to begin to see some shifts towards strength in these positions and, and policies. Iran, I think, is a bellwether. It's a bellwether. What happens with the people, with the movement, with the ideas? Uh, we talked about now uh, Heather Nauert, who's going to be running the Under Secretary for Public Diplomacy, which I think is a key position on what we do to advance those who share our values in Syria, in Iran, in Iraq, and Saudi Arabia, and elsewhere. So the apps that say death to America, that the government of Iran is pushing out, makes it clear to us that they're not our ally, but also that their motive is not peace. Their motive is radicalizing a significant element of the population to the point that revolution becomes impossible. And with good leadership in the United States, 
coming back to who we are and our root, our root values, we can begin to realize that we don't need troops abroad. I agree with ratcheting back American deployment globally, but not abandoning it. These countries will need some chaperoning as they evolve through revolution after revolution. There will be some evolution, but it will only go in the right direction to support those who share our allies if we actually support them and protect them not only physically, but at the UN and globally and intellectually on platforms of social media and the conversation that needs to be had. It's always a pleasure to talk to all of you. Thank you for joining me week to week on Reform Conversation about what we need to reform, how we do it day to day, week to week, and month to month. God bless you all. I'll see you back next week. This is yours truly, Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.